Kids, there's Mr. Bricker and Miss Weed King. Looks like they're ready to take you to children's worship. You can head on out. It does me good um, to stand up here and get flirted with as uh, these kids are on their way to uh, children's worship to have a cute little girl give you a big smile. That's pretty cool. Got to pray for the Brocks, though. So, um, but yeah, she's she's quite a charmer. Um, we've been looking um, uh, this Advent at uh, uh, Acts chapter three, verses twenty-three to uh, twenty-six. Uh, as Peter preaches a sermon uh, as he's about to be arrested for the crime of uh, healing a man in Jesus' name. And so uh, today we're going to finish that up. <coughs> I'm going to read to you uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 26, and we're gonna, but we're going to focus our attention on verse 26 uh, this morning. But uh, let me read to you Acts 3, 22 uh, to 26. This is the Word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So um, one, of the, one of the things that um, I've discovered yesterday is that we've created another holiday. Uh, you've heard of Black Friday before, which is the shopping day after Thanksgiving. Well, yesterday is what is known as Super Saturday, the last Saturday before Christmas. Uh, I don't know what's super about it, uh, except that uh, uh, it was uh, an opportunity for us, for Marty and I, for the first time to go out and actually do a little bit of Christmas shopping together, something that we almost never do. And uh, I felt particularly righteous yesterday because we went out to a uh, Christmas shop for my mom. Now, that was my mindset. I'm out Christmas shopping for my mom. Therefore, I'm better than all of you other people who are here simply being materialistic. And so, as a result of that, you should get out of my way. <laughs> I used to think that the biggest laboratory for us to study uh, the sin, uh, original sin and depravity was the two-year-old nursery. But what I, what I have determined is, is that the parking lot around a shopping center on... Uh, Super Saturday is a great place to discover wickedness. Um, uh, there, there's one lady I'm still praying for uh, as a result of uh, what we did yesterday. But the thing that occurred to me about that is, you know, it is, it is so funny how we approach things like that and we think, you know what, those, 
those things, uh, that, that's just a hassle and everybody else out here is the problem. I am not the problem. I am here just trying to do the best I can. Everybody else needs to get out of my way. If they would just cooperate, do things the way I think, if they would park the way I would think, if they would wait on me, and then everything would be okay. But the fact is, the, the truth is, as we think about that, we're, we're all in this uh, mess, uh, as it were, together. Now, one of the things that you note about uh, this text, and one of the things that I, I want us to, to look at today, may have turned you off, and it may have made you think, that's for somebody else. Uh, uh, when he says that Jesus Christ was raised up by God to come into our world uh, to turn us from our wickedness. Now, you hear that word wicked, and you think, well, that must be for that lady who was not letting me out. That's for that lady. Or, or that's for those other people out there. Or, or that's for those people who are, you know, the bad people. Which, whatever category you got, you've got one. You know who I'm talking about. Who are the bad people? You know, whatever, whichever particular list you want to work from, you've identified those as, now those people are wicked. <coughs> I, on the other hand, am at worst partially wicked, uh, but only when I'm tired, and only when I'm hungry, and only when uh, you won't get out of my way and let me do what I need to do. Right, so, so, the, so the fact of the matter is, as we look at this, one of the things that makes uh, Christmas difficult for us and makes Advent difficult for us is we think of it as this, this kind of inoffensive thing where this baby is born. Who couldn't, who couldn't love Christmas, right? It's about a baby. It's about shepherds. It's about sheep. It's about gifts, you know, and, and we, we hear this wonderful story, and yet what the, the point of it is is something so profound um, that unless you have some sort of a grip on wickedness in your own heart and life, it really doesn't mean very much. Becky, put, put my notes up there, right? So, so what I want to do today is kind of juxtapose these two passages, one from Luke chapter 2, verse 11, which is the, uh, the great uh, uh, announcement of the uh, angel to the shepherds, for unto you is <coughs> born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and then what Peter says here in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness, right? And so there's two things about this that we're going to delve into further this morning. But the thing is, is this. When you hear the angel say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, let me ask you, from what do you need to be saved? From what? From what do you need to be saved? The bad boss. The difficult neighbor. The, uh, the difficult relationship, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is, what, what, what is true here is that when we hear the words of the angel and when we sing that, what we are declaring is, is that Jesus Christ comes into the world, lives our life, dies our death, to save us from our sins, to save us from our wickedness, to save us from that drive which is in every one of us to live independently of God. And, 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 and really, you may be saying, well, I'm in church today. Obviously, I don't live independent from God. <coughs> 
perhaps the way you think about it and perhaps the way I think about it this morning is like this. For a lot of things in my life, I don't live independent of God, but there are certain things in my life that I do live independent of God. There's so much about my life that I think, you know what, I I need a Savior to come into the world, but what I need Him to do is to do things the way I want Him to do and to save the things that I want saved and let me do the rest. In other words, probably for, for what most of us think that what we need saving from and what we're crying out for is that what we want to be saved for is for a little bit of happiness, a little bit of joy, a little bit of affluence, so I don't have to think about money, I don't have to think about um, those sorts of things, and so that life just gets easier. But the fact is, God is the one who comes to us and says, listen, here's your problem, this is what you need, and I will do it for you. You see, the thing that we recognize is, is that when a Savior comes, when Jesus Christ comes into the world, when he comes, he comes objectively to meet our need. He comes to do something for us that uh, probably is counterintuitive to us. It's probably something that we think, ah, this is something that obviously needs to be fixed, and yet he fixes something else. One day, Jesus is teaching in a house, and uh, uh, people are gathered around there, and you can't get in to see him. And there are four men who have a friend who is crippled. And so they take him, and they're trying to get him to Jesus because they know that if they get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. And so they tear the roof off the house, and they drop him down in front of them. Now, we know that story. You know exactly what happens next, but you'll miss something if you don't see what's going on there. What does Jesus do for the man? What does he do for him? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? He came here to get healed. What is wrong with you, Jesus? That's not his problem. You should feel, you should have some compassion for him. You should help him get up off his bed and walk. But Jesus, the priority of that, the work that he's doing there, he lets the guy walk. He heals him simply to give emphasis to and to show that he has the authority to do the most important thing, which is to forgive him of his sins. And so that's exactly the way I walk through my life as thinking, you know what? What I want is I need, I, I want some joy this Christmas. I want some happiness. I want some good food and some good drink. And I want to be left alone, right? I, I want everybody to behave themselves and nobody to do anything really silly. You know, I, it's funny. We've been sick at our house a lot, and uh, we get uh, Hall's cough drops that, are, uh, that have a pep talk in every drop. <laughs> Take charge and mean it. Power through, push on, keep your chin up, dust off and get up. Conquer today. Elicit a few wows today. Uh, be resilient. Now, if, if this is meaningful to you, you don't need Christmas. <laughs> if this is what you think the gospel is, just get up and dust yourself off and pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I know you feel sick, but look, I've made this cough drop for you. Dust yourself off and get with the program. It's just a matter of us pulling ourselves up and getting with it. Then, you know what? It's no wonder Christmas is a bother. But if you recognize something about your selfishness, 
If you recognize something today about the brokenness and the crookedness that is in you, then what the angel says is the best thing you've ever heard. So what I want us to do today is to look at these three things that Peter says, that Jesus was sent to bless us by turning us from our wickedness. That's, uh, uh, that's what I want us to look at. So sent, in Advent, we wait for the sending. That's what we're looking for, is for God uh, to send his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. We, we celebrate and we wait for the ultimate in giving. We, we celebrate and we wait and we look forward to the one who comes in the flesh, right? Uh, in Christmas, we see the one who was sent from us for us. And John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that he pitched his tent among us, that he dwelt with us. He sees, he hears, smells, and feels what we feel. And, and contrary to the way in which we typically think about Jesus, he challenges. He tells people who are trusting their own righteousness that they're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He takes a whip and runs the commercial interests out of the temple because they have changed, exchanged what is supposed to be a spiritual activity for a commercial activity. He, he challenges people. He, he tells people to repent. He tells people to turn from from their own ways, and to trust him. And, and so as you look at this and as you see this, one of the things that you have to understand about Jesus is, is that Jesus comes and is not manipulated. He does, and he is who he is, and he came to do what it was he came to do, right? And so in, in every way that we look at this, one of the things that we may think is, you know, we may create our own Jesus. We may create the one that makes us feel most comfortable, but the fact is, the fact is Jesus loves you enough to challenge you, to see what's wrong with you, and to do for you what you can't do so that, so that it would move and change you forever. This is a rich thing uh, that, that we, we see and that we celebrate at Christmas. But he comes not just, he, it doesn't just come, he comes to bless. Now, we hear the word blessing, and we say the word blessing, and we talk about blessing all the time. But most of the time when I say that I want God to bless me, what I want him to do is something uh, immediate, like I want to feel better, or I want a little more money, or I want a little more kindness, or I want a better car, or I want a better house, or I want a better sweater, or whatever it is. It's almost never something that we think about that is bigger and more dynamic than that. Now, one of the things that we like to do in our house is we like to watch really stupid movies <clears throat> because we like to laugh. And some, sometimes I think the way we think about Jesus and the incarnation is more like Pedro than a savior. And you're thinking, who is Pedro? Well, there's this movie called Napoleon Dynamite. And uh, uh, Pedro is Napoleon's kind of only friend. And Pedro's running for student uh, government president. And Pedro's got about as much personality as that chair. <laughs> Literally. And his campaign pledge is vote for Pedro and he'll make all your dreams come true. Believe in Jesus and he'll make all your dreams come true. We'd settle for that. That seems like a good deal. That's a good transaction. I'd buy that ticket, right? 
When in fact, what Jesus does is something so much grander and bigger than that. Because we never ask ourselves the question, what happens if I have the wrong dreams? <laughs> what, what if my desires are flawed and what I spend my time desiring is not necessarily a good thing, a life-giving thing, or certainly the ultimate thing? You see, it's hard for me to understand and hard for me to think that Jesus comes and he does something and, and in fact, that left to my own devices, I probably wouldn't be that interested in it, right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is Jesus comes and does something for me that I cannot do for myself. He earns for me the righteousness of God. He lives a life for me and he gives it to me. And he not only does that, he takes what is due me in this life because of the way I've lived and, and takes the punishment of that upon himself to set me free. And so, so, the, so the, the fact of the matter is, as we think about this, we think really basically what we need Jesus to do is to handle those things in life that are a little bit harder and a little more difficult for us. And yet what he does is he comes to us and says, I am here to save you from your sins. I am here to, 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 to save you from your, this drive for independence that you have so that, so that life can be transformed into something that's not just about you, but about something bigger because he loves us, because he is gracious to us, because he is merciful to us, because he is kind to us. Jesus didn't just come into the world to set a good example. He didn't just come into the world to do good for people. He didn't come into the world just to kind of overturn the power structures. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, how does this happen? Well, and, and what, is, what is his mission then and what he is doing with us? Well, Peter says that he does this by turning us from our wickedness. Now, like I said before, you must think, well, these words must be for someone else. Wickedness is not something I'm very acquainted with, right? Because we know what wicked is, and we almost never think of ourselves as wicked, or if we do, we snicker about it and say, aren't I a wicked boy? But here's the wonder of wonders is this, that God is the one who gets to determine what's wicked. If God is God and he made us and he made this world, then he's the one who gets to determine what's good and what's not. <coughs> um, I found out this week about a TV show that I would not like uh, and that I will not recommend, but somebody sent me a clip from it that was very interesting. It's a show that comes on during the day, and if it's you like this show, I don't think I would like it. But I did like this clip that I was sent. The show's called The View. It looks to me like a lot of women, well, not a lot, four or five women sitting around the table making fun of people. That's kind of what it looks like to me. I don't know, is that what it is? But anyway... This, hap this clip that was sent to me was about them discussing and making fun of a billboard, apparently, that an atheist group put up in Texas that's got a picture of Santa Claus saying, you don't need to go to, Christ you don't need to, go to church this Christmas, just be good for goodness sake. And so they're talking about this. Now the lady, I don't know this lady, but there was one lady on there that I could tell I would not like. <laughs> I 
I don't know anything about her, but I'm like, I don't think we'd be friends. Maybe because we're too much alike, we were too big a smart Alex. I don't know, but I don't think I would like you. Well, she is like saying, well, I don't think that billboard's a good idea because if people are religious and they want to go to church, let them do it. It's none of your business. You shouldn't buy a billboard that challenges people by that, which sounds okay. But then there was another lady there who apparently is not on here very often who said, I'm really grateful for that billboard. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And she says, I'm grateful for that billboard because it gives me an opportunity to talk to people. About what? About what is good. Just be good for goodness sake. Because I want to ask people, who gets determined what's good? So the lady that I wouldn't like says, well, I know what's good. You don't hurt people. You're kind. You're gentle. You don't murder anybody. You try to get along. And, and this is the really ironic part, and everybody at the 9 o'clock service missed the irony of this, so I'm preparing you for the irony, <laughs> which must not be very ironic if you missed the irony in the first place. Is the lady who said she liked the billboard said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? Because she just had, saying that she'd been good, and she was like, what? Is that a problem? And (laughs) the lady says, well, God gets to determine what's good. And he's laid out what's good in the Ten Commandments. And he says lying is bad. Have you ever lied? And she was like, ah, let's change the subject. (laughs) Well, when we see that, and we hear that, we may think um, that, you know, well, I get to determine what's good, and I get to determine how it works itself out in my life. But in fact, you don't have the right to say what's good. Only God tells us what's good. He's the source of all good. And so he's the one who gets to determine what is wickedness. And so what wickedness essentially is, is the desire the inclination, and the action of living life independent of God. Um, And so how in the world is Jesus going to turn me away from what I spend about 98% of my time thinking and doing, living independently, living often as if there is no God, living often as if there is no comfort, no accountability, no nothing, and just living thinking primarily about myself, right? Right? Well, God does this by convincing me of his kindness, and that in turn convicts me of my sin and redirects my desires. In other words, God convinces me that I need blessing by blessing me. God convinces me that I am a liar and that I am wicked by being kind to me, by, by saying to me, look at yourself and see that when you were still a sinner, I died for you. And, and that is the thing, and that is the energy that begins to motivate and change and redirect me away from being turned in so completely upon myself, right? And so Jesus sees that, and that is what he comes into the world to do. That is what he comes into the world to say. That is what he comes into the world to accomplish for us. Now, 
Um, there's a great statement of this in the Belgic Confession. We'll probably read some of this at the Christmas Eve service at 7 o'clock, where it says, We believe that our good God, by marvelous divine wisdom and goodness, seeing that Adam and Eve, and you know what? You could change that to seeing that Steve had plunged himself in this manner into both physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, set out to find him. Set out to find him. Though he, trembling all over, was fleeing from God. Now, uh, Adam and Eve fled from God and hid from him behind um, uh, fig leaves. I flee and hide from God behind reputation, behind stupid humor, behind uh, self-righteous public acts to make me look better than I really am. And so what does God do with people who are like that, who are running away from him, and who are running away from him, not in the sense so much that they're afraid of him, they certainly are, but we are afraid of you because we have chosen to live independent of you or to live as if you don't matter. What does God do? He comforts them by promising to give them his son, born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make him blessed. So then we confess that God fulfilled the promise made to the early fathers and mothers by the mouth of the holy prophets when he sent the only and eternal son of God into the world at the time appointed. The son took the form of a slave and was made in human form, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weakness being conceived in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. You see, one of the reasons why Christmas is such a bother and so hard for us to celebrate is because it's just a cute story. But if it is the story of our rescue from certain death, it is no wonder that we would celebrate it with, with feasting and with joy and with songs. Um, this, this uh, uh, oh, about 10 days ago, I got a text from my daughter at college. My phone buzzes on my desk. Hey! I'm like, hey, back at you. She says, have you ever read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Letters from Prison? And I'm like, certainly, dear. I have read that. I have written papers on that. She said, well, I just came out of my class, and my professor said some I won't tell you what the professor said, but it was enough to make me want my, a refund. <laughs> and she said, is that true? I'm like, no, what he said is not true. And she's like, well, can you show me something that would help me know that it's not true? So uh, there's a poem in uh, Bonhoeffer's Letters from Prison. Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor who was imprisoned and ultimately hung uh, in a, a Nazi prison during World War II for resisting uh, Hitler. And he wrote this poem uh, near the end of his life, the last Christmas he was alive. He says, in me there's darkness, but with you there's light. You think Bonhoeffer had a problem with self-esteem, or do you think he accurately knew himself? I'm lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there's help. I'm restless, 
but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. And, you know, that, wouldn't that be a great thing for us to say? Lord, you know the way for me. Lord Jesus, you were poor and in distress, a captive and forsaken as I am. You know all man's troubles. You abide with me. When all men fail me, you remember and seek me. It is your will that I should know you and turn to you. And turn to you. Turn from my wickedness. Lord, I hear your call and follow. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. That's the cry of the person who knows their wickedness. Help me. So, you know, if you're not tired of your independence, and the, then this uh, word is of little consequence, but if you're tired of your independence, then Christmas is indeed good news because there's a solution to your problem. And the solution to your problem is found in Jesus Christ who empowers you not only to see and to hear and believe, but keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. In my office, when couples come to see me, before they tell me what their problem is, if they have a problem, before they tell me uh, anything about uh, their lives or their marriage, I can tell if they love each other by their body language and their posture. Do they ever turn toward each other? Do they look at each other when they're talking to each other? Do they ever touch each other? Do they turn at all toward one another? God turns to us and moves all the way to us in Jesus Christ. That is the news that makes Christmas so good. And that is what turns us from our wickedness. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 